Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. Welcome to episode 51, we're Woo! over the hill now or something, uh-huh. the- of, <laughs> of the department. And today we're going to get into some tasty or untasty nostalgic food trends from the days of yore. This is part one of two because there was just too much to cover in two episodes. So in this first part, which I'm tentatively calling getting jiggly with it. We will be exploring the surprisingly long history of perhaps the trendiest food in history, Jell-O. Very exciting. It was a labor of love. I bet. But before we get into that, Kim has some stuff to tell you. Well, if you're having a good time with us, you know, make sure to share our podcasts with your friends or family. Um, It's pretty much our number one way of growing our community, um, you know, sharing is caring here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, and then also please make sure to follow us on your preferred streaming service, you know, Apple or Spotify. And um, if you want to take it one step further, uh, give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. And potentially, if you got a little extra time on your hand, leave us a review. Those are always very exciting. Um, And then lastly, just make sure to follow us also on Instagram. Um, We do have a lot of extra content and memes and things that we kind of put on there. Um, Everyone on there is also really fun and supportive. And um, it's just like a, it's just a nice little community that we're growing. Um, So if you haven't joined us already, you can find us at underscore the underscore department. So we wanted to make it as complicated as possible. Yes. And I think we succeeded. (laughs) I think so. You know, it's like, it's like a secret backdoor to um, the department. Um, Another (laughs) secret backdoor is our website, thedepartment.world, which is full of show notes and links. And if you have a suggestion for an episode, want to tell us about a trend we're missing or just share your own story feelings, perhaps you have some hot jello stories to share, please call our hotline number or send us a voice memo that you've recorded on your phone or computer. You can find both the email address and the hotline number on our website, as Kim mentioned, thedepartment.world. And just an update mm-hmm. for all of you, I finally updated our voicemail, like our <gasps> outbox message to say, hi, you have reached the voicemail message box for the department and clothes horse because people oh. were getting confused. <laughs> I just totally forgot about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Today, we have a message from Claire in response to our last episode about name trends. I just loved the last episode, and I just wanted to try this on for size. Hi, I'm Kareem. Hi, and I'm Bubbles, and this is the department. (laughs) I love it. It sounds great. Bubbles and Kareem, what a team. Anyway, I did a search on your list of episodes, 
and I didn't find anything, although I haven't listened to every single one of them yet. Um, I have, I did not spot anything on the gender reveal parties and what a disaster they are and how, how come they became so popular and, I mean, what did people do before they burned things down to talk about what, what gender their child will be? I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's interesting, the whole thing. So anyway, um, that's pretty much my only question. And I really just wanted to say hi to Bubbles and Kareem. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I, um, my first name is actually Jennifer. And, uh, as an adult, because there were so many Jennifers, I decided to start using my middle name. And that's Claire. All right. Bye. So, Kim. You mean Bubbles. <laughs> you're right. So, Bubbles. Kareem. <laughs> of course. Uh, I kind of feel like I already know the answer to this question, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Have you ever been to a gender reveal party? I haven't. I actually really do not know a lot of people with babies. Me neither. I was thinking about this and I was like, do we not get invited to these things because like n- nobody likes me or you? And then I was like, no, it's because we like don't know people with babies. No. I mean, I feel like gender reveal parties are just like, it's just like one more reason to draw attention to your pregnancy. <laughs> right, right. I don't know. I mean, no no judgment or anything. I would, I would go. If there was cake at this gender reveal party, I would go. <laughs> just a cocktail. But I would be like, can you... Can you please not photograph me here? Like, yeah. It would be Operation Anonymous for me. Right. You have to like sign an NDA. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not really here. I'm just here for the drinks and the food. Right. I don't know if these kinds of parties are known for their drinks and food, but they do seem to be known for both death and mayhem, yes. which I'll go into. But I did look this up because I was like, yeah, it just seemed like out of the blue people were having gender reveal mm-hmm. parties and I would see them occasionally on Instagram. You know, like you said, we don't know a lot of people who have reproduced, but uh, the few <laughs> people that I did know, <laughs> the few people that I did know like tangentially were doing it. So I was like, okay, this is like a thing now. So according to the internet, the first ever gender reveal party happened in 2008. Really? Yes. I just assumed it was happening for a lot longer time period. I know, but then you think about it, that's 13 years yeah, and you're like, so. okay. And of course, that's also the rise of like Instagram. Yeah. Social know, media. Oh, yeah, totally. FOMO. I bet you fear of missing out on this gender reveal party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the woman who had the first ever gender reveal party was named Jenna Myers Carvunitas. She was determined to get her family jazzed up about her first baby. There recently, her nephew had been born uh, on her husband's side of the family, and so they were just less excited about this next grandchild. That's so sad. <laughs> I know it's so sad, and she was pretty distant from her own family. So she came up with this novel idea of a theatrical, and in retrospect, it's like the least theatrical reveal because far more theatrical versions were going to come. But she came up with this idea this for this theatrical reveal of her baby's sex. And I want to add that this woman bakes cakes all the time. It's like her hobby and she loves parties. Okay, see, I would like go that. to that. I would definitely go to that party. Right. So she baked two different <laughs> yeah. cakes. They were in the shape of, I believe, a duckling. One was pink inside and the other was blue. She basically said to her midwife, hey, don't tell me what kind of baby I'm having. Just pick 
the cake that's the right one. It'll be a surprise for me too. So then she invited her family, you know, and her husband's family over for this party. And they were kind of like, whatever. It's like in the middle of the week. I have to drive. It's like traffic. I got to get to bed early. Is that actually part of it? Well, yeah, that was wow. part of it. And um, <laughs> they were just, they just weren't excited. Yeah. But then, as she told the Guardian, when they cut into the cake, there were gasps, tears, and someone shrieked, I feel like she's being born. What? <laughs> because it was a girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, she wrote about this event for her personal blog, which I believe is about baking, called High Gloss and Sauce. And soon the story was picked up by a popular pregnancy magazine, and soon oh. it was nationwide news. So then gender reveal parties became part of the $200 to $1,000 that couples spend on their baby showers. Like now it was like you have to do Wait, it. Wait, is it – do you do the gender reveal party and then you also have a baby shower or are they together? They're separate. So it's two yeah. events. You, two Yeah, I mean that's week, how weddings have gotten though too. You know what I mean? Two weeks. They're on weeknights. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how weddings have become too. It's like all these different showers and parties mm-hmm. leading up to it, engagement parties, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like it's all because of social media. Um, it just makes people have FOMO yeah. if they're not doing all these things. So Wikipedia, I guess I was kind of surprised by this, literally has an article about gender reveal parties. It has a separate article that is a list of all the people who have died at mm. gender reveal parties which says something, Ooh. right? And I pulled the whole list of some of the most notable disastrous gender reveal parties. Um, the 2017 sawmill fire in Arizona. Oh, this makes me so mad. I know, I know. It was caused by a gender reveal party that combined blue powder and an explosive. Oh. Other dangerous stunts have included fireworks and alligators. <laughs> what? Alligators? I know, I know. In 2018, gender reveal burnouts in which cars emit billowing clouds of pink or blue smoke became a popular fad. Um, and there were actually a number of accidents and arrests that related to this. Oh, my God. In September 2019, there was a plane cat crash in Turkey, Texas, where a low-flying crop duster was attempting to drop 350 gallons of colored water for a reveal. That same year, in October, an Iowa woman was killed by debris oh. from the explosion of a homemade device oh meant to reveal her grandchild's gender. It's important to uh, point out that the debris hit her in the groin. Oh my um, God, that I know. is so gruesome. In September 2020, a gender-revealed pyrotechnic device started the El Dorado fire in California, destroying homes, prompting evacuations, burning thousands of acres, and causing the death of one firefighter. It's heartbreaking. This year, in February of this year, the accidental explosion of an in-development gender-reveal device, whatever that means, in Liberty, New York, killed the (gasps) father-to-be and injured his younger brother. Oh, my God. Yes. That is devastating. I know. What? I know. I know. <laughs> in your pants, people. Like, don't you learn? I know. I know. I mean, there are multiple gender reveal parties that have caused large fires, explosions. Two people were killed when a plane crashed in the Caribbean Sea off the coast of Mexico while carrying a sign that read, it's a girl. Oh, my God. I mean, can we just agree that being hung up on binary gender yes, for your child exactly. is so chuggy. It is. Right? Yes, it is. So chuggy. And throwing these dumb, dangerous parties is too. I mean, the idea of the cake is so cute. 
why did we have to start exploding things? Exactly. Because hashtag USA, right? So the woman, Jenna Myers Carvunitas, she said, quote, I feel like the guy who invented gunpowder. I'm the one who put the form to it. I'm the one who said, this is something we're going to celebrate now. And this is how we're going to do it. I put it out there. And so she feels very regretful. She's like Hallmark, you know, just like starting up these, these, <laughs> these different um, holidays just to sell some, some, some cards. But this is the. She's sorry. <laughs> She's sorry for starting. It's not her fault. I mean, how do you go from cake to like cannons? Oh my God. I mean, so, so quickly. <laughs> Everyone wants to yeah. top each other. Yeah. Uh, I hope this is the last time we'll talk about gender reveal parties. But, of course, if any of you have hot takes on it or hot stories, please call the hotline. What a welcome to the neighborhood. Wait till you taste my Margie's dessert. Dessert? I didn't make dessert. Oh, instead, I made some fun. You've already made the neighborhood fun. Kim, mm-hmm. I know for a fact that you love shrimp. Love shrimp. You're a shrimpaholic, mm-hmm. right? So I wanted to see, get your get your feeling on this specific dish. It contains shrimp, which can be cooked or canned. I didn't know canned. shrimp could come in a can. Did oh. it still do that? Oh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you're already off. To, you're already like I don't know. Okay. Any yeah, canned fish is weird to me. Yeah, canned fish is weird unless you're a cat. Chili sauce, lemon juice, pickled relish, sugar, and unflavored gelatin. Oh, honestly, that just sounds so disgusting. <laughs> well, like, it's called ugh. shrimp chili mold, oh. and it serves six. <laughs> Why is it chili? Where's the ch- oh the chili sauce? Chili sauce, the chili yeah. sauce, yeah. Oh my god, it would be more disgusting if it was canned chili in there, though. Probably oh, exists out there, god. though. I think I have to like throw up in my mouth a little bit. Well, you know, I get it. You live in LA, and everybody's a lot more health conscious there, so you probably love a salad, oh, no. as do I. So how about this: carrots, oh. celery, spinach, scallions, Mm-mm. lemon juice. Vinegar, sugar, and you know, of course, gelatin. Oh. <laughs> like These as are, chunks or blended? Uh, it seems like okay. I'm speculating here that it is chunks oh. because in this era of making this is not the era we live in now. By the way, in the mid-century of the of American history of American culinary history, if you will. When we were making all these wacky jello molds, the goal was to suspend chunks of things in there for maximum aesthetic value. Mm-hmm. Right. It, yeah. For the, for the, you know what I could, could imagine out here though? Um, and I bet you could even have like a fucking food cart based on this is <laughs> you get these, like, get, you know, like the, get the collagen jello, you know? Oh my and gosh. And then do like, spirulina and like green tea and do like these like green jellos that are like health jello i like where you're going with this i could I see that being there. An, i could see that working there i could see yeah. that being a thing and you can make like a vegan version of jello with um auger mm. and so it doesn't have to be 
gelatin based. Although, like, I feel like collagen is such a trend. It is such now. a trend. Right. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do use that uh, Vital Proteins collagen. I actually, I drink a collagen juice every day. That make, that so sounds disgusting, we're... but it's like it's like green powder, red powder, collagen with like uh, flax seeds, huh. and then I mix it with some like pomegranate juice, and I just have these big. I'm not gonna lie, Jillian Michaels does it so. <laughs> Well, there you go. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't usually fall for advertising. I like to think, but I saw on Hulu some commercials starring Jennifer Aniston yeah. for Vital Proteins. And I was like, you know, is that what it is? It's Vital yeah, Proteins. Yeah, I actually, I I've, I've used that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try it out. Um, It's supposed to be good for your joints and stuff as well. And I've been doing it for about three months mm-hmm. now. I put it in my coffee, actually. Um, I know you're not supposed like to get it some- hot or it, it might, it might disrupt some of the collagen if it's heated yeah i don't know that's why i do it in the cold interesting well maybe i'll try that for a week and see how that goes i you know but you know what i am not a dietitian and i feel like i like (laughs) read that somewhere and you know (laughs) well and i bought collagen because i saw it on hulu yeah so it's like neither of us are experts there. But one thing I will tell you is that now I feel like I am an expert on Jello. Mm, mm, excellent. Uh, good. This is great. That's good to know. Yeah. And now we're all going to be experts. All of you are going to be. So in 2000, a mere 21 years ago, some people call it Y2K, uh, Utah named Jello as the state's favorite snack oh, wow. food. They declared Jello Week, which, by the way, in case you were wondering, is February 12th to the 18th. And they took it a step further by handing out a souvenir green Jello pin at the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. Wow. And let me tell you, if I could get my hands on one of those pins, I'd be very <laughs> excited. I personally do not like Jello, never no. have, but I'm fascinated. Yeah, by it. I think it's really interesting to look at. I never liked eating it. But people love mm-hmm. it. Like, I know people who love Jell-O. We tend to think of mid-century America when we think of, like, the peak of gelatinous foods. We certainly think of Jell-O and its jigglers. We think of Jell-O Jeez. molds with, like, whipped cream and f- canned fruit cocktail in them. All in all, a nice gelatin mold feels like a 20th century invention. But actually... Gelatin has trended at other times in history as well. And yes, that's right. Gelatin is a trendy food, just like collagen. Mm -hmm. Gelatin first had its moment in medieval Europe, so a few hundred years ago. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. Where jelly dishes. Oh, I guess so. It's like aspect or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Where jelly dishes were a food of the elite. And we're talking elaborate molded centerpieces. But only the wealthiest families would have had these sorts of jellied masterpieces because making gelatin was no easy feat. Forget about even the artistry of the mold. No one could just open a packet of Knox or cherry jello and get down to business. They had to make their own gelatin, which to be honest, included some really gross business. I found a recipe that dates back to this era for making gelatin. We'll see see how far I can read this without vomiting. I know. I'm like actually mildly afraid that I'm going to start throwing up. Take out (laughs) the great bones of four calves' feet and put the feet into a pot with 10 quarts of water. 
three ounces of hartshorn. I have no idea what that is. I think it's an alcohol. Three ounces of isinglass, a nutmeg quartered, four blades of mace, then boil this till it comes down to two quarts and strain it through a flannel bag. Oh, you're not done yet, though. Mm. Let it stand 24 hours, then scrape all the fat from the top very clean, then slice it, and put to it the whites of six eggs beaten to froth. Boil it a little and strain it again through a flannel bag. Then run the jelly into little high glasses. You may add orange flower water or wine and sugar and lemon if you please, but this is all fancy. This is all so, fancy. This is like days of work right here, right? Yeah, but it it, it does sound like um, like bone broth kind of. It does. It does. It's very artisanal, right? Like it's ripe for a comeback. Mm-hmm. People making artisanal gelatin. Yeah. This entire process took hours and days. So rolling out these jellied centerpieces was something that you did when you wanted to impress guests with your massive staff. A staff so big that it had time to make gelatin. Because if it's not obvious enough here, a big staff equals super rich. People love to appear super mm-hmm. rich. Cons- conspicuous consumption. Something that never goes out of style. <laughs> and in case you were wondering, there were, ge- there were even gelatin molds at this time, although they intended to be ceramic or stoneware. Metal molds would arrive in the 1800s because, yes, gelatin was on trend for a couple of hundred years. I guess trends just moved a lot more slowly back then. There was no internet. Mm -hmm. There were no magazines. Most people couldn't read. Trends stuck around. (laughs) (laughs) One popular form of jelly slash gelatin in this era was called flummery. Wow. That's a good word. It's a good word, right? It's a jelly made by steeping oatmeal in water overnight and boiling the strained liquor with sugar. And this had an opaque, creamy look, which I would say in the middle of the 20th century, housewives would approximate this by mixing like Cool Whip with Jell-O, you know, that like opaque Mm -hmm. pastel look. And I, I shared some photos with you here that are like stunning. And not at all what we think about when we think about Jello. I'll be honest like with you, the top one does look like a boob with a nipple. Yeah, I think a lot of Jello molds historically do have major boob vibes. <laughs> 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 yeah. Unless you think that elaborate jellies were just a European delicacy, Americans' wealthiest families were also serving fancy Jello molds to their guests. In 19th century New York City, the richest families showed off the size of their large staffs via, guess, you guessed it, elaborate gelatin uh-huh. centerpieces and such a strange flex. In the South, plantation owners had their enslaved cooks churning out massive gelatin molds too. Thomas Jefferson, also a slave owner, loved to serve wine jellies to his guests at Monticello that were made by his enslaved chef. This recipe for these wine jellies, which you can easily make today, contained sherry, cinnamon, nutmeg, and egg whites. It kind of reminds me of a port and chocolate mm-hmm. jello shot that I made a few years ago. So I'm. this does sound a little bit tasty. Like I said, I feel very uncool mentioning Thomas Jefferson because after all, yeah. he literally owned people. But I do like the sound of the wine jellies. So – Food historians consider the 19th century 
that's the 1800s, to be the golden era of jelly foods. If there were one, it wasn't the one we're thinking of. It was in the 1800s because new metal molds allowed for more complex shapes and artisans were practicing complicated striping called Russian jelly. And like all of these things, the recipe is complicated. So this book, this recipe is from the 1880s. Um, It was written by a woman named Agnes B. Marshall, who wrote a series of cookbooks about cooking with gelatin. And she said, take one quart of lemon jelly and when cool, add two wine glasses of Kirsch liqueur or syrup and one wine glass of brandy. So I'm just going to pause here and say that in the 1800s and even previously, a lot of jello jello molds, gelatin dishes had booze. Mm -hmm. They were jello shots, basically. Yeah. So you divide this into three portions. You color one with liquid carmine, which I believe comes from crushed up bugs, one with a little sap green, and you leave the remaining part plain. Whip these separately until frothy throughout, and when nearly set, pour them into any fancy mold that is resting in a little ice in alternate layers, and leave it on ice until ready to serve. So, I mean... That actually one actually sounds a little bit tasty to me. I don't know. I think it's the booze that's really yeah. It's not as noxious. Yeah, yeah. It's it like, doesn't sound as horrific. It sounds like a yeah. It's definitely like a little fruitier than maybe some sort of you know pi- shrimp pig's, chili cocktail. <laughs> pig pig ankles and yeah, shrimp <laughs> and lettuce. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, trust me. There's plenty more lettuce and Jello mixtures coming. God. So Agnes Marshall wrote two books of elaborate gelatin recipes just like that one. And they were both sweet and savory. And she was such a business genius that she also created and sold the necessary molds in her own store. Her target customers would have been upper and upper middle class women married to professional men because those households would have had a large enough domestic staff to make time, Mm. just like in the medieval era, to make these elaborate dishes. So once again, gelatin remains a food for the well-heeled. We haven't reached the Middle America portion of Jello's history yet. Very, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And to be clear, in this period in the 1800s, gelatinizing just about anything was a wild trend for these women. In the Victorian era, everyone was obsessed with tidiness. And even a salad a mere innocent salad could give someone the vapors just (laughs) thinking about the chance that a few errant lettuce leaves would escape the plate and go onto the table, which to be fair, anytime I've been eating with like coworkers, I have worried about this. Um, At home, we're like, you know, we're trash animals. We just get lettuce everywhere. But, you know, I understand this anxiety. Well, I mean, eating a salad in public can be, like really traumatizing. Like it's, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it, first of all, it takes so long. And then it also, it gets <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. It it's like in my around. hair. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's, it's a tough one. So it's funny that we no longer do what the Victorian housewives did, which was just stick that salad in gelatin. Boom. Neat and clean. Gross. <laughs> I know. As food historian Laura Shapiro wrote in her book, Perfection Salad. 
a salad at last in control of itself. Oh my God. At last. At, at last. last we solved the crisis of the errant, the cr- errant salad leave. crisis. Yeah. <laughs> at last. Well, at last. Finally. We've been waiting centuries Perfection to cure this. Salad. Yeah. Perfection salad. Perfection <laughs> salad. Hooray. It's the National Jello Week. Tell everybody you know. And don't, don't, don't let the week go by without J-E-L-L-O. Onions, radishes, carrots, peas. Beans, lima, and string. It serves vegetables in Jello Week. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mmm, bright, crisp vegetables in cool, shimmering Jello. There's a salad for you. Bright radishes, for instance, and cucumber in shimmering lime jello. Golden carrots and cabbage in refreshing lemon jello. Yes, sir, a jello vegetable salad, the sunniest dish of good for you goodness you'll find anywhere. Have you made a jello salad lately? Well, do this week. It's served vegetables in jello week. Tell everybody you know. And don't, don't, don't let the week go by without J E L L O. The world of jello gelatinized foods took a leap forward in 1845 when Peter Cooper patented the first powdered unflavored gelatin, making gelatin accessible to anyone at any income level. And this is where we start to see the tide turning. This this was a pivotal time in the United States, not just because of powdered gelatin, but, you know, that certainly helped because the Industrial Revolution was moving more and more families from farms to cities as they began working in factories and other businesses. This shift away from a primarily agricultural economy caused a major shift in food systems as Americans bought more of their food from stores than just growing it themselves. And processed foods like cereals and canned vegetables were picking up popularity. There's actually a whole series. It's a really weird series. It's called like The Foods That Built America. I don't know if you're aware of this program, Kim, but it's on like Discovery or something like Mm. that. And it's like, it's like dramatic reenactments of like Kellogg cereal. I've seen that one, or I've seen okay. I've seen something with like the whole Kellogg. I don't know what where it was, but I remember a very dramatic situation. I think it must have been that. It's very dramatic. I have seen some of it because uh, the last vacation we went on in a family, which was just a few months before the pandemic. Dylan and Dustin kept watching this show in different hotel rooms. And I was like, come on, mm-hmm. guys, we're on vacation. And they were like, come on, we just like want to finish this episode. But oh, I actually, most- I think I, I take it back. I think it was like a drunk history. Oh, really? I think <laughs> well, the drunk history did it. Well, the thing is, it feels a lot like drunk mm-hmm. history anyway, because it's so overdramatic. And I, the thing I remember most is that there was an episode where I felt very strongly and was disappointed that this didn't happen, that the heiress to the post-serial fortune, I really thought she was going to bang the guy who invented bird's eye frozen foods. There was weird sexual Ooh. chemistry or tension there that never played itself out. But I was like, what is going on in this show? Are just the people such bad actors? I can't figure it out. Anyway, <laughs> it's un- entertaining Are they nonetheless. together? Like, they yeah, that's I was some really like- interesting chemistry. <laughs> I really thought they were going to set it up that like yeah. then the heiress to the post-serial fortune started banging the guy who founded Bird's Eye and then they and I, who I believe his I believe his last name was Bird's Eye and then they got married and they like merged. I really thought that was coming but nothing ever nothing ever came of it and I I don't know it was very strange. 
<laughs> that's that's your takeaway. <laughs> that's my takeaway from this whole series. Anyway, so back to gelatin. Savory molds like cucumber mousse, tomato aspic, oh and glacé fish no. mold no, 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 were no, no, just no, 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 as popular as I know as sweet. I know. I know. There's so much, so much fish and gelatin stuff out there. I mean, I I can't. That's like I draw the line. I'm like I can't even look at a picture of it. You know what I mean? Very triggering. Very triggering. But these these types of foods were just as popular as the sweet dessert versions. They were flavored with beef broth, tomato juice, lemon juice, probably some sort of fish juice. I've definitely yeah, like clam in the that clam juice. In the mid-century, that was when you started to see recipes flavored with Clamato, yes. which I just can't. Is Clamato the one – is it is it like it's, clear it's, but kind of cloudy? Or is it no. tomato clam? It's tomato with clam juice, but I know what clam juice you're I, talking about. I remember about my too. dad would have that and it was – it would Ugh. haunt our, um, our cupboard because he used <laughs> it once. And like, I don't know, maybe we made like clam chowder or something. And I just remember being just so grossed out by it every time I looked in the cupboard. Yeah, I, I, I can't with that. I don't know why it exists. I guess maybe, yeah, for soups or mm-hmm. if you want to make a good clam jello mold. Ugh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so disgusting. Oh, I think it – Well, yeah, I know. It's really gross. Don't throw up. I know. Uh, I like the worst pull is yet myself to together. Pull yourself together. So another thing is that women were finding that now that they have this powdered gelatin, that they could use gelatin to extend their leftovers. So oh. let's say you had some leftover vegetables and pieces of cod oh. left from Friday's dinner. No. Add some gelatin and maybe some tomato juice oh. and voila. Yuck. Oh, my God. Yuck, 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 Saturday's yuck. Saturday's lunch. No. <gasps> Imagine. Oh, God. Well, what we, do the kids we do? Do the kids have to eat that? I mean, I, I guess kids were just different then because they all like worked in factories and stuff and they like worked up an appetite. So yeah. they were like, I guess I'll eat this fish jello. I don't oh, know. It was a different time. Leftover. Oh. In 1897, a man named Pearl Bixby Waite. Fantastic name. Pearl. <gasps> I know. What a, what a with, great name. With an E, right? P- with an E, yes, yes. Oh, that's such a good name. Great name. Bring that one back. We're yeah. going to have a lot of really great nostalgic names in this episode, so stay tuned. So Pearl Bixby Waite described himself as a carpenter slash this – is, this one's a little bit of a disconnect for me – a cough syrup manufacturer. <laughs> Well, I yeah, guess cough I, syrups back in the day were like cocaine and and like yeah. I mean, I could make that and like <laughs> and like brandy or something, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like maybe like some Coca Cola. Yeah, exactly. All oh, that had cocaine. That would be double cocaine. Yeah, just I don't lots know what of else. Cocaine to get rid of that cough. Yeah, just, it was just basically cocaine and like a liquid vehicle for it. <laughs> so he trademarked a gelatin dessert and, and named it Jello. Oh, Pearl developed Jello. Yes, he and his wife Mary created new flavors like strawberry, raspberry, orange, and lemon, basically the classics mm-hmm. of the Jello catalog. At the same time, another company, the Genesee Pure Food Company, was making another very different and somewhat confusing food product called Grano. Ew. I know, not a good name. Not, so a, good, not good branding. Most of the internet has forgotten about Grano, but don't worry, I was able to find an ad from a 19th century newspaper that alleged, I don't know, it, it tried to explain what Grano was. So it said, <clears throat> Grano, exclamation point, 
Remember that name when you want a delicious, appetizing, nourishing food drink to take the place of coffee. So first off, we're talking about a food drink what here. What is a food drink? I have no idea. Sold by all grocers and liked by all who have used it. Grano is made of pure grain, although it never says what kind of grain. It aids digestion and strengthens the nerves. It is not a stimulant, but a health builder, and the children as well as the adults can drink it with great benefit. Costs about as much as coffee. So it's like a coffee substitute. What benefits? I don't know. I feel like it's like Metamucil or something. Aids digestion and strengthens the nerves. Yeah, I know. That's some bullshit. It must have had cocaine in it. <laughs> I know. It's just, all co- just, it's just, all just co- liquid cocaine. It's just liquid cocaine with some grains. It's, but it's good mm-hmm. for children, too. Great. Perfect. I would suspect that Grano would have been completely forgotten with time if it weren't for this. The Genesee Pure Food Company bought Jell-O from our buddy Pearl. Because he, they felt like the names were too similar and it would be confusing oh. to people. Although, let's be real, very, very different. Mm-hmm. So th- the great thing about the Genesee Pure Food Company was not that they made Grano, but that they had a lot of innovations in production and packaging at their disposal. So they were able to turn Jell-O into a household name. Plus... They killed it at the marketing game. I mean, obviously, that ad I just read you was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, I'm sold. Right. In 1902, Genesee began marketing Jell-O as America's most famous dessert. I, I I, don't know what kind of desserts they were eating back then, but this that's depressing. Yeah, it is. So they took a left turn from all of those congealed salads of the Victorian era, and they focused on the dessert aspect. They introduced new flavors like chocolate, which, oh, cherry and peach. (laughs) Chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. They they handed out free Jell-O cookbooks to get people amped on it, and their advertisements contained recipes and celebrity testimonials from people like Ethel Barrymore, who was the grand aunt of Drew Barrymore. So I'm That's sold. So exciting. Yeah, I'm sold. This new and improved Jello was a hit with early 20th century homemakers. I mean, thanks to the introduction of gas stoves, electric mm. irons, the telephone, women of this era prioritized clean, tidy, sanitary, efficient cooking and housework. And this new Jello was great because it was fast. It felt sterile and safe, and it was an affordable way to feed their families. <laughs> you know, I can't believe I've gotten this far without mentioning Charles B. Knox of Johnstown, New York, who invented a method of granulating gelatin because the first commercial gelatins came in sheets that were a little harder to use. And his innovation sped up the process and made the outcome a lot more successful in terms of, you know, setting. You don't want mm-hmm. your salad to just, you know, flop and be runny, right? Like That's runny. I would just say yeah. the only thing worse than a jello mold full of salad is a gloopy one. <laughs> like a wet, like a wet runny oh, one. Oh. Way worse. Oh. Way worse. Yuck. Ugh. His product was unsurprisingly known as Knox Gelatin. According to the mm. Knox website, This is the the description of him, and I had to copy it. From brash slogans to innovative advertising, his unorthodox ways earned him the title of the Napoleon of advertising and a successful business. I don't know. Do you think he was short? 
Is that why he was the Napoleon of advertising? Or kind of an asshole? Yeah, like, I know. What? It doesn't sound good. I don't think that's a title you want. Yeah, I was like, what is that it's even not, It's not a good look. Uh, in 1904, one of those innovative things he did was promote cooking with Knox gelatin at the World's Fair. That is actually probably the, the, the best way to start Totally, totally. It was sort of like sponsoring Coachella. Like imagine yeah. Coachella brought to you by Knox Gelatin. It's pretty much what it was. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, if the Knox Gelatin had a bunch of like green juice in it and <laughs> collagen, I have a feeling that the Coachella people and would like totally glitter, but like edible gold or something. You got to glitter. You know, it's got to be Instagrammable. Some coconut water. Oh yeah. Put some coconut. You know, for hydration. Yeah. Yeah. Or wait, have we just like? Should we call Knox Gelatin and be like, listen? I'm telling you, this is just a it really idea. Is. It really is. Well, the next year, Mrs. John Cook, we'll never know her first name. She's just Mrs. John Cook of mm. Newcastle, Pennsylvania, won third prize in a Knox-sponsored cooking contest with a recipe, and it's legendary, that she called Perfection Salad. It was an. Here's oh, how she no. described. How, here's how it was described. <laughs> it just can't be. <laughs> can't be perfection. This is the worst one. I'll just say okay. that. An aspic filled with finely chopped cabbage, celery, and red pepper. And by the way, this mm. was suspended in lemon flavored gelatin. And Mrs. Cook recommended serving it with <gasps> mayonnaise. Oh, yeah, probably like like Miracle Whip, not even mayonnaise. I don't know if Miracle Whip existed then, but yeah. Oh, did I don't not? know. Yeah. I don't know. At one point, Better Homes and Gardens declared that it was one of the great recipes of all time. And so Better Homes and Gardens, I so I collect vintage cookbooks, specifically of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. From the 80s on, the photography just isn't cool. The layout isn't cool. But that the 50s through the 70s are the like golden era of really complex set design for food photography mm. and also just like really kooky foods. And one, I'll say I have a lot of Better Homes and Gardens cookbooks because they're like my favorite. They all include this perfection salad, I swear to God. And one of the books I have is specifically a book of salad recipes. I open it. It's entirely salads suspended in gelatin. I want to say that's from the mid sixties. So, mm. you know, we, um, you know, I'm working on launching our, our diffusion brand for Graf mm-hmm. Lance, which is called Feltery. I highly recommend everyone. Yeah. Um, it, the website, I think is going to be launching in about mm-hmm. a month, but we brought in all these like food stylists <gasps> and like food stylists and sets, you know, like, um, and did these like mid-century scenes, <gasps> like modern, but kind of modernized. And there, there, we even had a big Jello mold kind of based on it, based on these kind of old-fashioned stylings. And it's so cool. Oh, I can't wait to see it's it. It's so that's cool. Like, that's my jam right there. Yeah, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love so it. So even James Beard, noted chef would observe in the 1972 edition of James Beard's American Cookery that Mrs. Cook's victory had, quote, unleashed a demand for congealed salads that has grown alarmingly, particularly in the (gasps) suburbs. But he also had to admit that, quote, the jellied salad does have its delights, and it is without question an American innovation. This is a chubby-cheeked, blue-bibbed dinner dribbler. He loves to eat. 
but right now he's had enough. Wait a minute, here comes Jello. There's always room for Jello. Jello gelatin is the lighter one that tastes more than ever like luscious fresh fruit. No matter how you serve it, there's always room for Jello. So, okay, everybody's like, we are throwing it all in gelatin. You know, we're all having perfection yeah. salad with mayonnaise or without. I mean, the trend. Yeah, you can yeah. imagine. Well, in 1906, the Pure Food and Drug Act was passed here in the United States after the entire U.S. population both vomited and shuddered over the revelations laid out in Upton mm. Sinclair's The Jungle, which was, you know, about like the meat industry and food in general. Yes. This legislation included mandatory labels and ingredients, and it created what would become to be known as the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. This made packaged food even more popular than ever. Previously, shoppers would buy their flour, sugar, seasonings, etc. from dry goods stores where they were measured out of bulk bins, you know, like a co-op today or the aisle at Whole Foods. Modern 20th century homemakers, modern being like modern in the very first decade of the 20th century. This is how modern they are at this point. They mm -hmm. saw this like whole bulk packaging, dry food, good stuff as both old timey and unsafe. So processed food manufacturers doubled down on advertising their foods as pure and safe. Jello ads mm. of that era emphasized the waxed paper safety bag that the food was in and its yeah. pure contents. In 1908, ads began featuring the Jello girl who was drawn by Rose O'Neill, the creator of the Cupid doll. The Jello girl further reinforced this idea of purity. And other ads told shoppers that they could serve their families the same thing that rich people were eating for a mere 10 cents a box. Wow. So wow. Jello, it's just picking up all this momentum. That's everyone's really everyone's cool. gelatinizing their lives. But sugar and therefore Jello were rationed both during World War I and World War II. Mm -hmm. But that period in between the 20s to the 30s, sales of Jello soared as the company introduced their most versatile flavor yet lime. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. That's, That's their the most versatile. versatile. Apparently, it like people lost their minds. Entire recipe <laughs> books popped up using just lime jello and say some vinegar and you know, maybe some eggs, whatever you had laying around. Gelatin mm -hmm. molds were seen as refreshing and light fare for ladies. In fact, <laughs> Knox even published a recipe co book called Dainty Desserts for Dainty People. Which is a little <laughs> bit adorable. Uh -huh. This is a good time for me to tell you that Charles Knox, who may have been a jerk, we don't know, but he was the Napoleon of Jello or whatever, Napoleon of advertising. He might have been a jerk, or he might have just he been might, short. We don't, we'll never know. Maybe he spoke fluent French. He may, yeah, maybe he always just had his hand under his back. Or like yeah. hair. He had like he had the hair. Yeah, who, knows? who knows? We'll never know. But he died in 1908 in this golden era of gelatinized food, leaving his wife, Rose Knox, another great name. Rose Knox is a great name. He left it her is. to run his company. According to the Knox website, 
She set up a test kitchen and developed hundreds of recipes which were printed on Knox packages, on leaflets, and in illustrated cookbooks. They also appeared in newspapers and magazines under the heading, Mrs. Knox Says. It was through her efforts that gelatin evolved from a delicacy and invalid food, as in for like people who couldn't chew, Mm -hmm. into a common household staple. Well, you know, we're in the 20s now, and Genesee Pure Food Company is like, I guess they're giving up on Grano, and they're saying, you know, we got to ride this cash cow that is Jell-O. So they created an artificially sweetened Jell-O called, this is a hilarious name to me, Deserta, like deserta. Oh. It also kind of sounds like a, like an allergy. It does. Medication. It reminds me of Zyrtec just a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. It does. In 1925, they merged with another coffee substitute brand called Postum, which I know still exists. I have known people who drink this as a coffee substitute, and it also has what fiber do you mean, in coffee it. Coffee substitute. It's just like a hot beverage. That you is brown and you drink it in the morning. And I think it's it's really favored. No, it's not. It's really favored by Mormons because you know they don't oh, drink coffee. Because it's yeah. no caffeine, yeah. And so they they merged with Postum and then they acquired frozen food company General Foods Corporation. Now there's a modern name that we know, right? Like remember General Foods yes. International Coffees? Well, of so, course. Oh, my God. The international coffees. Uh, I used to drink those in high my school. My grandma would always have them, and she would make them for me, and I felt so sophisticated. Yes. I'm sure they're just like sugar. Like the hazelnuts Oh, yeah, totally. It is. It's like powdered sugar I remember water. specifically, yeah. and maybe you remember this commercial. They would show these commercials. I think it was just the hands of the people drinking coffee. Like, they didn't show their faces. Oh. I might be wrong on that part. Yes, yes. No, 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 it was just hands and they were making motions yeah, so the women, as they were talking. The women were drinking coffee and they were talking about some vacation they'd had in France. And then they both said, yes. Jean-Luc. Anyway. <laughs> right. And and the, it was basically like international coffee. It's like, it's like, it's like having a cafe mm-hmm. in Paris. But of course, it's just like weird flavored sugar It's kind of like cocoa, but not really. You know? Yeah. Anyway. I'd still drink yeah, one. I would is. try one. Oh my god! You know, a thousand. Yeah, percent. if I like encountered some, I'd be like, spoon it on me and let's see. Give me, give me a cafe francais over here. Uh, I know that was one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, through that's hilarious. Through World War II, Jello and Knox remained highly relevant by urging women that despite the rationing, they could still treat their guests to beautiful and nutritious meals using gelatin. One suggested recipe, I mean, this one made the rounds for a long time, olive relish, which consisted of olives, pickles, celery, vinegar, and of course, lime jello. And this is a recipe that I will tell you, I see in all of my cookbooks. This is one that was, I don't know if people were, people must have been making it, right? I I don't know. I I included a picture in here just for you to, you know, get your eyes on it. I know. I'm I'm staring at the olives because I have like the Yeah, these aren't the the, like olives that you get in the olive bar at, you know, like, you know, Whole Foods or whatever. Yeah, it's not not that. It's like those other olives that come in a martini. Like martini olives. I love those. Maybe I love this. (laughs) I mean, on surface, okay. Put some like gorgonzola in there. I love olives. I love pickles. I'm pretty okay with celery. I like vinegar. Why not mm-hmm. throw it in some lime jello? 
But I don't like lime jello. Yeah, I don't think I like lime jello either. I'm not sure if I've ever had lime jello, but this yeah, it's it's weird and it implies that it would be sweet, but then have all these salty things in it. I but see then I think about like sweet and salty is good sometimes. So I I don't know. I'm not saying I'm gonna go make one of these, but if someone had it at a party, I don't know, it try, sounds like you yeah, are. I'm gonna make it tomorrow while I'd be eating it myself because it's not vegetarian. But uh mm. can you imagine the saddest that's like the saddest pandemic story you could ever tell is like, well, I made myself an olive relish jello mold and I had to eat it all by myself. Oh, it just goes, it's just basically future garbage. Oh, just makes my stomach, my stomach like is seizing up. It's the jello. It's the jello. I, I like it's all the, the other things. Well, mm-hmm. after the war, after World War II, we began the mid-century gelatin madness that we know and recognize today. And really, this is when a lot of the packaged and processed foods that became staples for generations really took off. We're going to talk about those in the next episode. But during the war, many companies had been churning out packaged, instant, canned, and highly processed foods specifically for feeding soldiers. And like a lot of research and development went into this. You know, they had spent a lot of money and time and really had innovated in terms of extending shelf life for foods, you know, being able to make them on a large scale, making them easy to prepare while out, you know, fighting a war. And these companies, they kind of just didn't want to stop. They want to stop and retool and reconfigure So instead, they decided to market these same foods as safe, wholesome, and convenient options for the busy housewife. Jell-O was no exception here, offering new savory flavors of Jell-O to its customers, like mixed vegetable, celery, seasoned tomato, and Italian salad. Oh! Yeah. This is a good time to tell you something really gross that I should have told you earlier, which is that in previous decades, despite only sweet fruit flavors of Jell-O being available, homemakers were opting to use those often in place of the slightly less convenient mix of, say, unflavored gelatin and tomato juice or broth in savory gelatin molds. So like mm-hmm. that olive mold I was talking about, that's like not unusual. It would have been totally normal to ma- take a salad and throw it into some lemon jello, you know? Add some pasta mm-hmm. in there, you got a whole meal. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got all your fate your food. Yeah, groups. yeah. To give salads a holiday look, start with jello gelatin. Like Mrs. Susan Dando of Boston. At this time of year, we have friends over more than ever. And I like to do special things for them. Like my mother did for her friends. I remember the jello molds she made. Never thought I could make them, but I finally tried, and it was easier than I thought. Now I even have a little trick for arranging fruit or nuts to make any mold look special. All you do is pour some Jell-O brand gelatin into a mold and chill until it thickens. Then, arrange nuts in any pattern you like, pressing them in. After the remaining gelatin is thickened, just fold in the rest of the fruit and nuts, spoon on top, chill, and unmold according to the directions on the package. Susan, this really looks beautiful. For Susan Dando's and other holiday recipes, see November and December women's magazines. To give your salads a holiday look, start with Jell-O. Mid-century housewives loved the convenience and perceived safety and nutrition of all of these convenience foods like Jell-O, but 
they also worried about being seen as lazy or not trying hard enough. Mm. A wife's primary job was to care for her family by serving them food made with love. And in their minds, love equals effort. A 1950 study measured housewives' feelings about convenience foods by asking them to compare a wife who bought Nescafe instant coffee and one who brewed Maxwell House. I love how name brand these are. They rated a woman who resorted to instant products as lazy, disorganized, and wait for it, a bad wife. No. So what's a woman to do, right? Well, they Mm -hmm. added a bunch of work back into these instant foods by using them as a jump off for making more complicated dishes. And brands loved this because they could publish entire cookbooks that used only name brand products. I have a bunch of these. These are one of my favorite things to find at yard sales because they're not like usually full book length. They're like booklets. There's, mm-hmm. I have a Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire sauce book called 100 Ways to Be Original in Your Cooking. Mercifully, there are no dessert recipes in this book. Thank God. Uh, but every recipe includes Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire sauce. Uh, I have another one called Worcestershire. 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 There you go. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Uh, Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce. Um, <laughs> I have Royal Instant Pudding's Royal Recipes, which includes a nightmare jellied salmon salad. I couldn't even read that recipe. No. I was like, next. Uh, I have Pillsbury's Sweet and Thin Cookbook, which promises 159 calorie saving recipes. And of course, I'm looking at it right now, the Knox Gelatin Cookbook. This one's actually hardbound. Mm. This one's a treasure. Entirely filled every single page, every single recipe with gelatinized versions of things like shrimp cocktail, pea soup, and crab louis. Yeah. It's all. The soup section is jello cubes of soup. Yeah. It's disturbing. It's disturbing. Uh, Let's just open it up and just see what I land on because it's all crazy. Um, We'll skip the desserts because they're just not horrific enough. How about, these are two winners, a seaside salad that includes gelatin, tomato juice, lemon juice, Worcestershire sauce, horseradish, Mm. wow, three cups of mayonnaise, six cups of seafood, and three cups of celery. The opposite page has two recipes. One's called Cranberry Crab Crown. I like the alliteration there. It's cranberry yeah. juice, gelatin, sugar, lemon juice, and fruited crab salad, which no. fruited crab salad is crab meat, celery, cherries, mayonnaise, lemon juice, and ground ginger. Wow. Oh, it's, it suggests almost. serving it with wishbone chunky blue cheese dressing. Oh no! That no. For dessert, coconut cake with that lemon filling. Okay. <laughs> if you wish, offer a chilled rosé wine with the meat. Oh, okay. Anyway, oh. yeah, that's the stuff that you have nightmares about, right? I know I do. Shudder, yeah. shudder. Well, Poppy Cannon was a food writer and you know food editor of the mid-century, and she became famous for her can opener cookbook in 1951, saying, quote, at one time, a badge of shame, hallmark of the lazy lady and the careless wife. Today, the can opener is fast becoming a magic wand, especially in the hands of those brave young women 
9 million of them, give or take a few thousand here and there, who are engaging in frying as well as bringing home the bacon. Mm. Her cookbook contains some real bangers, like frizzled ham with bananas Haitian, which is canned ham, bananas, rum, and butter. I might try that because I do actually like ham. Uh, And Luke. Not yeah, the not worst. the worst, right? And Lucanian eggs au gratin, which were eggs, canned macaroni, and cheese, which, okay, that's disgusting. That's canned macaroni and oh, cheese? Something I don't want to know about, I would say, right? Oh. Uh, it seems gross. Uh. Just nightmarish stuff that involved opening a lot of cans. And I would say that's not unlike those dump meal cookbooks of the Audis. Mm-hmm. You know you've seen them. Dump cakes, dump dinners, dump, dump, dump. I used to be, there's a whole series of them. You want to say dump Dump, a few more times? I used to be obsessed with browsing those books at Walgreens because for some reason, they always had the full collection. I have a very visceral memory of, I don't know, it was when I was living in LA and I was home in Portland for Christmas, being at Walgreens with my entire family on Christmas Mm -hmm. night. I'm not sure why. Someone was sick or something. And while I was waiting for everybody to get their acts together, I was literally just reading one dump cookbook after another. <laughs> uh, so anyway, <laughs> I recently acquired it's it's kind of like, it's kind of like when when you say the word dunks. It is dunks. <laughs> I was wearing some dunks, dunks and I was looking at the dump books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I recently yeah. acquired this I don't I don't know if this is the yeah, maybe this isn't the most nightmarish gelatin cookbook I've seen, but it's it's up there. It's called Knox on Camera Recipes, a completely new guide to gel cookery. And supposedly these are like the recipes you see on TV and because they're so beautiful. Uh there's there's some wild stuff in here. There's Cottage cheese and kidney bean salad, which includes French dressing and cabbage. It's important to remember here that anytime you hear me say salad, I mean in gelatin, oh. right? Oh, cottage cheese. So cottage cheese, kidney beans, French dressing, oh. cabbage. There's probably some other stuff in there. Um, corned beef and slaw salad. That's one where I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't read this recipe. Molded Mm-mm. avocado and tuna which is best served as a loaf. Chicken. Did they have avocado back then? Yeah, yes, they did. I mean, I kind of remember. <laughs> I know that they did because I remember specifically a book that I was obsessed with as a teenager that I literally read hundreds of times was The Bell Jar. And it opens oh. with Sylvia Plath's character. You know, She was an intern for Mademoiselle. They were at a luncheon where they all ate avocados filled with crab meat and they all got food poisoning so yes they did have avocados Mm. then but i felt like it was like fancy you know i think it's really really fancy fancy. uh and for ladies surely um chicken and pineapple mousse i i didn't read that one any further that was too wild yeah there's something creamy and then this one we don't we don't want to know (laughs) this one disgusts me the most of all molded macaroni and cheese it doesn't need to be in gelatin. And it includes Macaroni celery. Macaroni cheese is good it's by, good by itself. itself. It includes celery. It's like lasagna. Yeah. Imagine like though, lasagna in who gelatin. Who wants to take the lasagna gelatin challenge? Gross. <laughs> oh. Well, I have good news for you. In the 70s, people fell out of love with this kind of packaged food 
witchcraft. For one, with health food becoming a fad, the sugariness of fruity jello fell out of favor. Although I did notice that I have a book from the 70s about jello called The New Joys of Jello, and it's entirely focused on desserts. And they are exquisite and shows a lot of really stylish people hanging out in like penthouse apartments eating jello desserts. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but it it just it it wasn't it wasn't as popular anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think it it turned into um oh what what's the cheese dip? Fondue, fondue. yeah. It did. It turned it into fondue. fondue. Yeah, yeah. And people just weren't into sh- sugar had fallen out of favor, right? So despite mm-hmm. the company's promise that there's always room for jello, there was no room for jello anymore. No. And for working moms because lots of moms were working now, there were so many more foods that were way more convenient than Jell-O, like Hamburger Helper, TV dinners, Kraft macaroni and cheese. We're going to be talking about all of those in our next episode. So Jell-O went full throttle into desserts. They really pushed their instant puddings. And later in the 80s, who can forget pudding pops and Mm -hmm. individual Jell-O and pudding snacks for lunches. And Jell-O's just, it's still there at the store. And it's interesting out here where I live, if you go to a normal grocery store and go to the aisle where Jell-O and pudding mix are, there are like 20 flavors of Jell-O. Mm-hmm. But in the city, you'd be lucky to find like three. I, I remember um, in college, I tried to make pistachio oh. pudding, instant pudding. Green. And I... It's green, and I love pistachios, of course. And um, and I, I was living with my sister at the time, and I I didn't read the recipe or something right, and I put too much liquid, and so it basically looked like slime. <laughs> it like it had come out like really goopy. <laughs> <laughs> it tasted like it was supposed to taste, but it was like really gross. <laughs> I still, I mean, I still remember it. I remember it just sat in the fridge and my sister's like, Kim, what is this? Yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> and I was like, it's supposed to be pudding. She's like, Kim, <laughs> this looks, it looks like, like, like slime. Yeah, that one is, I've had the pistachio pudding as a kid, not since I was a kid. I remember it being like so weird and gross mm. and like so green. But I definitely like I grew up eating like those jello pudding mixes for sure. And mm-hmm. I remember they had like these like no bake desserts that we would sometimes have that were make yes. you like ostensibly like a pie sort of. Um, I think that stuff is still around. But I mean, we're definitely not there's no way that the business for all of those jello products is strong right now. Like it's just no. out of favor. It's the sugar, it's sugar sugar yeah, content. And yeah, stuff. I feel like well yeah exactly exactly I feel like parents are more likely to feed their kids yogurt than to even get them the individual yes. puddings or jellos anymore is there any nutritional value in jello well you know one thing that a lot of these jello gelatin companies were pushing in the mid-century and even recently is this idea wait I'm opening the page right now that gelatin is a health drink also so it actually is kind of similar to all this collagen stuff. Um, yeah. You can drink Nux too in so many ways. Uh, and at this point, 
well, here, let me just tell you what it's going to do, and then I'll tell you what Knox thinks you can do with that. Do you have brittle fingernails? Correct them one way published medical research proved effective with Knox and Knox alone. Just drink one daily envelope of Knox unflavored gelatin in fruit or vegetable juice, bouillon or water. Oh my God, imagine drinking a water. Bouillon. Published clinical studies using Knox and Knox alone showed seven out of 10 women have success, mostly within 90 days. Avoid limitations. Your doctors will tell you. Also, basically, it's supposed to help you stay slim, have better skin, all of this stuff. They have this thing called the Knox Eat and Reduce Plan which was basically that you would drink an envelope of Knox before meals, and that would make you less hungry. And Knox suggested mixing it with tomato juice, in orange juice, in eggnog. That's really in here. Eggnog? In instant milk. That's so specific. I know. I feel like... And seasonal. I, I well, it's just good to know that, like, you know, you're maybe you're starting this whole routine during the holidays, and you want to know, how does eggnog fit into this? Yeah. <laughs> Put it in a shamrock shake. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I remember one of my friends growing up, her dad broke his arm and her mom was making her dad drink gelatin like three times a day. And uh, supposedly the doctor had directed this. So I don't know. Maybe it does have some health. I think it must have yeah. collagen. Well, I mean, if, if it's derived from hooves which is what it's supposed to be then it, it then that's essentially collagen yeah essentially right so i guess it is just like an old-timey version of collagen i'm so curious what you know back you know back in the mid-century or before when jello was so big how strong everyone's nails and hair was <laughs> i mean it must have been great so much yeah it? It must have been great. I mean, and just for anyone who's listening, like we're not doctors and we clearly have no idea what we're talking about. But <laughs> if before you start, you know, drinking gelatin for your hair and nails, like please, you know, look it up on the internet or consult a doctor. Maybe both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just or just get, get the collagen. Get the collagen. Powder. Be trendy like us. <laughs> yeah. Get the collagen powder. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to add that gelatinous treats haven't totally disappeared. They've re-entered our rotation of foods by the way of Asia with tapioca balls and bubble tea and, of mm. course, mochi. Yeah, of course. So, when was – you know, when Cosby was doing his his like jello pudding ads? It was in the right? 80s, yeah. It's in the 80s. I feel like that, that – they did so many of those ads. I feel like it was on constant. Oh my god! And it's like all you could think about was Jello pudding pops, mm -hmm. and those little cups. Oh yeah, that you take for sure. that you would take to um, to school, and it was just like weird, just like processed sugar gloop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. They were not. None so, of it was. Good. I never. None of it was good. No. I, I don't know why. You know what's interesting, though, is they just – I know that they were, like, the treat of the 80s, those pudding pops. In fact, people were buying $300 yes. million dollars worth of pudding pops a year in the mid-80s. Wow. They discontinued them in the 90s. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that so odd? I don't Yeah, know. I wonder – I wonder if it, like, changed over to, you know, those um, – those like strawberry and those like they're like coated with um you know what I'm talking about oh. there were these like yes 
Yes. They were cho- strawberry and chocolate. They were so goddamn they were so good. good. Or the sherbet push-up pops uh, and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. Did it just like fall out of favor? I mean, because those were like, we would get them. That is weird. I still remember yeah. them. I still remember eating me them. Me too. Me too. They were, they were not, they, I mean, they were, they were okay. They were fine. I liked the marbled ones that were chocolate and vanilla, but they weren't like. Yes. Oh my God. I forgot about The those. reality yes. is that they were no better than any other popsicle, but we saw those commercials constantly. So we wanted them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that has to be the biggest decade that Jell-O had after, say, the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I think so because of all of the commercials. Well, you know what else? I want to say it was the 80s. Kraft bought General Foods. And so I'm sure there was all kinds of other weird stuff going on, like Mm -hmm. licensing and things like that. Why do you think Jell-O got so popular in hospitals? Um, Because you don't have to chew it. If you have issues chewing, swallowing, or, you know, even like feeding yourself, this is an easy one. That's true. Um, It's gross. You know, my school would serve it in school lunches. I remember that. And it was gross. I never ate it. It, Like, how does that count as nutrition? Yeah, remember like they were like squares of it. Yeah, exactly. And I was always like, this is disgusting. But other people loved it. And they'd be like, can I have your Jell-O? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean – School lunches are a whole other thing that I would like to talk about someday. But mm-hmm. that concludes my exploration of Jell-O. So in next week's episode, we're going to talk about more of these modern processed foods that we all know. We all have stories about Kraft macaroni and cheese, hamburger helper. Kim and I were going buck wild talking about frozen meals. <laughs> we have lots <laughs> of opinions and experiences oh God, there. Yes. Um, so please, if you have a story or a food that you think must be mentioned, please call the hotline or drop us an email. And that's all I have. So we'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Bye. Bye. You're about to see the final round of the Jell-O and Ice Cream Recipe Contest. Larry first, using ice cream. Strawberry-flavored Jell-O. Looks good. Whipped cream. A strawberry. It's a Jell-O and ice cream frappe. Alfred, under pressure, takes a banana, ice cream, Jell-O, toppings. How about that? A Jell-O and ice cream split. Could anyone get more from Jell-O and ice cream? You can. Get details of a $1 refund offer at your grocer's now. Look for this display. 